Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 9. Ascension of Julius Caesar Rome has been recovering from destabilization of the Republic in recent decades. The bloodshed first began with the deaths of the Gracchi and continued with the civil wars of Marius and Sulla with their marches on Rome and the purging of their rivals. Various leaders used final acts and prescription lists to legalize the killing of their enemies. Roman blood was shed by Romans trying to gain or maintain power by manipulating the Republic. The stakes of the game were rising. Politicians were competing for greater prestige, riches, power, influence, and octoritas than their ancestors. To lose the game at this level could be a death sentence. Last episode, we saw the rise and greatest success of Marcus Tullius Cicero, consul during the Catiline Conspiracy. While Catiline was still rogue in Italy, Cicero had captured and executed his fellow conspirators in Rome with the power of the final act. Catiline and Manlius still had an army in Italy, but at least for the moment, Rome appeared safe from internal threat. And then there was Gaius Julius Caesar. Caesar was slowly and steadily rising in prominence through more radical, populist measures and had a gift of keeping his name out there in the minds of voters. Caesar had questioned the authority and the legality of the final act, which brought him at odds with Cicero. Caesar was also against executing Catiline's captured conspirators, which was a very unpopular opinion. In this episode, we see how Julius Caesar's career progresses. Quite a few citizens were not happy with Caesar's apparent sympathy towards the conspirators, and we'll see if and how Caesar can dig himself out. Our essential question to keep in mind throughout this episode is, what is the benefit of what would be the first triumvirate to its members? At the start of 62 BCE, one of the new tribunes, Quintus Metellus Nepos, immediately decried what he called Cicero's illegal actions. Nepos believed that Cicero was wrong to execute the Catiline conspirators. Nepos insulted Cicero. As a tribune, Nepos used his veto power to prevent Cicero from giving his farewell speech as consul, where he would have recounted and justified his successes. Nepos had a reckless reputation, but more importantly, was Pompey's brother-in-law. Caesar allied himself with the reckless tribune, attacking Cicero's actions. To a large assembly of citizens, Caesar sat behind Nepos, who proposed a bill. Pompey Magnus should be given command in Italy to defeat Catiline, who was still at large. Within the crowd were Nepos' men, who could defend him if there was trouble. Two tribunes arrived with their supporters to counter Caesar's protest. One was Quintus Minucius Thermus, and the other was the virtuous Cato the Younger. Cato boldly sat between Nepos and Caesar during their demonstration, to some of the crowd's delight. Tension was heightened. Nepos ordered the bill to be read aloud so the people could know what they were going to vote on. Cato vetoed the action. Nepos then took the bill to read it himself. Thermos snatched it out of his hands. As Nepos wrote the bill, he recited it from memory. Thermos slapped his hand over Nepos's mouth, and Nepos signaled to his armed men to take action, and a riot began. Cato and Thermos were manhandled, and edged weapons were brought out. Nepos's people were dispersed. That afternoon, the Senate passed the final act to strip Nepos from the tribunate. 
However, Nepos' tribunate was saved by none other than Cato, who recommended the Senate not strip Nepos of his rank. Nepos, in reckless fashion, publicly stated that Cato and the Senate conspired against Pompey and that they would pay. He then fled Rome to join Pompey on his eastern conquests. No one minded that tribunes weren't supposed to leave Rome. Julius, all publicity is good publicity Caesar, came out very bad from this. Nepos had proven himself brash and an instigator of violence, and Caesar had been happy to be his ally. In his quest to raise his own popularity by associating himself with Pompey's brother-in-law, Caesar was complicit in starting a riot, and the Senate decided he should lose his praetorship, rather than beg, Please, give me another shot. Caesar pretended like he didn't hear the order and wanted to continue to perform his duties as praetor. The Senate would not budge though, and the public was turning on Caesar for his recent bad stances, standing on the wrong side of public morality. Caesar then began to lay down his praetorship and stopped wearing the toga that marked him as a senator, indicating to all that he was gonna retire from politics. A crowd gathered at his house, claiming they still supported him, Caesar told them, though, they needed to disperse. Whether Caesar orchestrated this crowd to arrive in some way is unknown. However, seeing Caesar's dignity in defeat, the Senate decided to restore him. Caesar would remain praetor, and his career in politics would continue. <laughs> so I just wanted to say, hey, <laughs> and that I'm here to stay, and you're going to be mad every day. <laughs> Success. Caesar was not immune to making mistakes, but recovered from it. The rest of his praetorship was rather standard, not radical, as he didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Catiline Me and Manlius would be killed in that year, and Rome could breathe easy. The Republic was safe from Catiline's renegade army, marching on Rome to take control and mold Rome to Catiline's will. As per usual, ending his praetorship, Caesar would become governor, for him, he was bound for further Spain. Before leaving, Caesar divorced his wife for adultery. Her adultery, not his. Whack. His wife Pompeia was cheating on him with one Publius Claudius Pulcher, whose affair was caught in the middle of a religious ceremony at Caesar's house. Caesar did not prosecute Claudius for violating the religious ceremony, as Claudius was a part of the powerful Claudii family and had powerful friends. Ever pragmatic, Caesar saw Claudius could be useful in the future as an ally, rather than an enemy forever against him. Also before leaving, many of the people Caesar owed money to were looking for a return on investment. You owe me like a dollar! Caesar had to take a loan from Crassus to get them off his back, which is our first recording of Crassus definitely loaning money to Caesar, but this likely wasn't the first time. Spain was historically a problem area for the Romans, with many small-scale rebellions over centuries. Its difficult terrain did not make it easy to navigate, and the people's disposition to revolt was not helped by Sertorius's rebellion in recent years. And that's a callback. As previously mentioned, governors often enrich themselves by exploiting their power in their province, and Caesar had unsuccessfully prosecuted many for this crime. Now that Caesar was governor himself, Caesar made war in Spain. He would say it was to enact peace against the endemic raiding, but his detractors would say he excessively warred as an excuse to plunder and make money. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
Caesar had many victories as he and the army he raised traversed the difficult Spanish terrain and many communities and peoples surrendered to him and pledged their loyalty and taxes to Rome. For Caesar's victories, he was hailed as Imperator, a victorious general, and earned his right to triumph in Rome. Reviewing where he left off at episode 6, while Caesar was fighting in Spain, Pompey's problems were piling up. While returning from the east, he did get to celebrate his third triumph. Pompey would be humiliated by Cato the Younger. He has to wed one of Servilia's daughters, who was also one of Cato's nieces. For Pompey, it would have been an alliance that would have gotten him into the more conservative senatorial elite. Cato refused him, citing he wanted his niece to have a virtuous marriage, not a political one. Pompey lost, and Cato won some notoriety for denying Rome's greatest living general into his family. Furthermore, Pompey failed to secure land for his veterans and confirm laws he had made from his eastern conquests. Cato and other senators, especially conservative optimate senators, cut Pompey Magnus down to size. Crassus wasn't doing too hot either, and his attempt to help tax collectors failed by Cato's influence as well. Cicero actually supported Crassus's efforts that allowing tax collectors to give the treasury less than anticipated was the pragmatic thing to do, and Cato's commitment to the ideal thing would hurt the Republic. Nonetheless, Cato and the conservatives won the day. The tax collectors were to squeeze out as much as they could, even if it would increase tension in the provinces. In 60 BCE, Caesar was 40 years old and returning from his governorship to begin campaigning for the consulship. While he was two years too young, the exception would be made for him. He allied himself with the rich Lucius Lucius. While Caesar would have made profit in Spain, his debts were still not paid. Caesar was the frontman of their campaign, and the unremarkable Lucius bankrolled the operation. Caesar resided outside Rome, unable to enter the city proper until he celebrated his triumph. It was a very sacred tradition that an active general could not enter the city unless they had permission to celebrate a triumph. These were traditions that Sola, Cinna, Marius, and Sola again had very much violated. Caesar really wanted to hold a triumph and parade his accomplishments right before running for consul. It would be a great boost to Caesar in the polls and he'd be a shoo-in for the consulship. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. While everyone knew Caesar intended to run, candidates had to be within the city of Rome by a certain date to announce their candidacy. To compare this to America, Imagine that if you wanted to run for the presidency, you had to announce in the capital of Washington, D.C. to do so. Unfortunately for Caesar, he was not legally allowed to enter Rome before the deadline of announcing his candidacy for the consulship. You see, since Caesar was waiting to celebrate his triumph, he was still considered an active general, and active generals were not allowed inside the city. The way the dates worked out, Caesar's scheduled triumph would happen after candidates for the consulship had to announce their intention to run. As it stood right now, Caesar could not celebrate his triumph and run for the consulship because the triumph was holding up his ability to legally enter the city and announce his run. Wanting his cake and to eat it too, Caesar appealed for an exception that he should be able to announce his candidacy for consul without entering the city so he could still hold his triumph. The Senate was set to debate it, but Cato was the one that killed it. Cato filibustered all day, not relieving his turn to speak until the Senate adjourned, by which point they would not meet again until the candidates announced their run for consulship. 
Cato may have hoped that by postponing Caesar, his debts would overwhelm him and his career in politics would be over. Also, his own son-in-law, Marcus Calpurnius Bibulus, was running for consul. Bibulus had actually been Caesar's fellow aedile, overshadowed by Caesar's lavish entertainment for the people, despite having the same job. Having Caesar out of the running for consul would help the advancement of Cato's family. In response, Caesar bet on Caesar. He laid down his command and gave up his right to the rare and celebrated triumph so he could enter Rome and announce his candidacy for the consulship. It was a gamble, but one Caesar was willing to take. The potential of winning the consulship over the assured popularity of a triumph. I made a crazy risk to gamble. Thus, the two seats for consulship would be between Caesar, his ally Lucius, and Cato's son-in-law Bibulus. All of them engaged in bribery, trying to win the votes of influential men who would convince their subordinates to vote for them. Caesar took a comfortable first place. It's about to pay off. Cato's son-in-law Bibulus took second, and Lucius's money would have been better spent elsewhere. A few weeks before Caesar took office, Cicero received a visitor from one of Caesar's men. He told Cicero that Caesar planned to introduce a land bill. Caesar saw that Cicero shut down the last land bill that came up, so he asked Cicero to either be absent from voting or support this one. If Cicero helped out Caesar here, Caesar said he would follow Cicero's opinions in politics as well as Pompey's, as he was operating as consul. Indeed, Caesar also said he was trying to reconcile the rivalry between Pompey and Crassus. In essence, Caesar was saying, Hey, so listen, I was thinking that it might be a good idea if you and I formed an alliance. I think an alliance might be a good idea. You know, help each other out. Do you want to form an alliance with me? An alliance he hoped that Pompey and Crassus would also be a part of. While Caesar painted this as a project in the works, in all likelihood, Pompey and Crassus were already reconciled, and this informal alliance was already secretly formed. We don't know when for certain this happened, or if Pompey and Crassus openly supported Caesar's run for consulship, but they all realized that if they united, they could all get what they individually wanted. Pompey needed a man who could settle his veterans and pass his eastern laws. Crassus needed a man to provide tax relief, and Caesar needed powerful friends who could ensure him a good governorship at the end of his consulship, one where he might earn a triumph to make up for the one he gave up. With Bibulus as his fellow consul, Cato's son-in-law would be frustrating enough to work with already. Oh, this guy! And if Caesar allied with either Pompey or Crassus, that would have set the other against him. Therefore, their unity, their combination of their actoritas, and the combined allies of Pompey and Crassus could overpower Cato and the conservative faction in the Senate that had individually frustrated them all, and nothing would be passed that frustrated even one of them. The alliance, as we call it today, was the first triumvirate. Cicero had much to consider. The Novus Homo was never fully accepted by the establishment, and he was still criticized for executing the Catiline conspirators. Cicero, too, in these years, had tried to ally himself with Pompey, the popular general. The greatest order in Rome would have made for an even more potent alliance. However, Cicero ultimately refused the offer. The triumvirs were not discouraged and proceeded as planned. As consuls, Caesar and Bibulus held equal power, yet each month 
They altered precedence and who would lead the Senate. Caesar, taking first in votes, had precedence at the start of the year. With precedence for the month, Caesar had that one month to pass his land bill, which stated that the Republic should buy land for the poor in Rome cities and for Pompey's veterans. Conveniently, it would be funded by Pompey's wealth from his conquests in the East. Land would be distributed by 20 commissioners to distribute influence and gratitude, and Caesar would not be one of these commissioners. Caesar's bill was sensible and addressed the legitimate issue of the staggering poverty in Rome while pleasing Pompey and his veterans. Caesar asked ex-consuls Crassus and Pompey to give their opinions, who both stated they supported the bill. No surprise there. Caesar would bring scribes into the Senate so that everything said, aka all the senators' opinions, would be posted for the public to see. Senators would very publicly be known to have opposed this bill. As other senators were asked for their opinions, none found criticism. Then, it came to Cato's turn to speak. Cato admitted the bill was sensible, but thought it was brought up at a very bad time of the year. The birds flying around all crazy. Maybe it was something in the Tiber. River's been down this past year. All that sand exposed. And who likes sand? It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Not like here. Oh, wait a second. Cato's yeah, filibustering. Yes, indeed. Old Cato the Younger was pulling a Cato. He was gonna keep talking, not relieving his chance to speak until the meeting adjourned without a vote. A very frustrated Caesar used his only recourse. The only way to end Cato's filibuster was to arrest him, which Caesar did. Caesar fell into Cato's trap. Sorry to disappoint you! Huh? You triggered my trap card! Now Cato was the defender of the Republic who was being punished by the tyrannical Caesar. The Senate began to turn on the consul. One respected senator left saying he'd rather be in prison with Cato than here with Caesar. Caesar, realizing his vital mistake, ordered Cato unarrested. The day passed without a vote. It was a setback for Caesar, and he did not carry himself well that day, while Cato got another feather in his cap. But just like a resourceful teenager, if mom wasn't gonna give Caesar what he wanted, maybe dad would. In this case, dad was the Roman popular vote. Caesar took the bill to the people since the Senate wasn't gonna do anything about it. The crowd that gathered had Caesar's support, and Caesar publicly asked for his fellow consul Bibulus's support. Of course, Cato's son-in-law did not support it. Caesar led a chance asking Bibulus to agree, but Bibulus stormed off. Bibulus wasn't required to represent the voters, but to be so against them did not help him in the slightest. Caesar proceeded to play the popular will like a fiddle. Next on The Caesar Show, he called up the distinguished senator, Marcus Licinius Crassus. Crassus gave enthusiastic support for the bill. Caesar's next guest was Rome's favorite general, Gnaeus Pompey Magnus. Caesar got the crowd begging that Pompey support this superb bill. Pompey did endorse the bill and reminded the Roman people that he would bankroll the whole thing with his massive wealth from his successful conquests in the East and that taxes would not have to be raised. For no cost to them, they could help out poor Roman citizens if they voted in support of this bill. While the triumvirs had the common Romans eating out of their hands, optimate senators were upset. Just as Tiberius Gracchus had done, when the Senate wasn't going to support Caesar, Caesar would manipulate the people to his side and pass it. On voting day, Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus were all visible, supporting the bill. They all had armed men in the crowd, perhaps to intimidate opposition, protect their supporters, 
or somewhere in between. That's when Consul Bibulus, his father-in-law Cato, and three tribunes arrived. Bibulus again stated he did not support this bill. While Bibulus and Cato may have been trying to use the tribunes to veto the vote, the crowd turned on them. According to the Greek historian Apian, who had been born about 150 years after this, Bibulus bared his neck, saying he was willing to die if it would stop Caesar's vote. Instead of a dagger coming down on him, it was a basket of dung. No one was killed, though Bibulus and the tribunes were scuffed up, along with others. Cato was actually unharmed and left with them, shouting that the citizens should reject this bill. Again, according to Apian, he was carried out by Caesar's supporters, snuck back in, and gave up after no one listened to him. Which really just breaks your heart. Somebody please give me a hug. Voting ended without any more incidents, and the bill was passed by the Roman people. Senators were compelled by law to confirm bills passed by the people and not repeal it. If they didn't, they faced exile. The idealist Cato was considering going into exile, but Cicero is said to have convinced Cato to accept it, that he was more used to the Republic in Rome than exiled. The next month came, and so did Bibulus's prominence as consul. He immediately tried to condemn Caesar, perhaps strip him of office. None supported Bibulus. Besides many senators being under the influence of Pompey and Crassus, it had become very clear that this bill was very popular with the people, and even conservative senators like Cato who didn't like it didn't want to run the risk of turning the people totally against them and totally towards Caesar. Bibulus was not seen in public for the rest of the year. Just ignore him! Ignore him! Though wrote denouncements of Caesar and Pompey. Caesar had the consulship all to himself, and 59 BCE would not be remembered as the consulship of Bibulus and Caesar, but of Julius and Caesar. Caesar set about fulfilling Pompey and Crassus's other wishes. Manipulating the popular will, the people passed what the Senate didn't legitimizing the laws and practices of Pompey's eastern conquests and reducing the money expected from Crassus's tax collectors. In this year, the Republic recognized Ptolemy XII as the ruler of Egypt after he bribed a staggering 36 million denarii to either Pompey or Crassus who would have distributed it with his fellow triumvirs. Furthermore, Caesar as Pontifex Maximus and Pompey, a religious augur, transferred the patrician Claudius to plebeian status. If Claudius sounds familiar, he's the guy who is sleeping with Caesar's wife, who Caesar did not make an enemy out of and prosecute. As a patrician, Claudius couldn't run for the tribune of the plebs, but now is free to do so, adopted by a plebeian younger than himself. This year also saw a classic double wedding. Caesar married Calpurnia, daughter of Lucius Calpurnius Piso, Piso would easily win the consulship with Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus' support and be their creature, and the triumvirate would have a consul in their pocket for next year. Pompey, having been a bachelor for a few years, married Caesar's only child, Julia, breaking off her engagement to another man. This can be seen in the lens that Caesar was worried of his relationship with Pompey and wanted to assure it, or conversely, that Caesar was cementing his good relation to Pompey. With Caesar's consulship ending soon, his governorship was coming up. Caesar would be given a special five-year command of two provinces, Illyricum and Cisalpine Gaul, with three legions at his disposal. The Senate actually voted to give Caesar another province, Transalpine Gaul. Caesar would hold supreme authority in all of these provinces, which were close to Rome. Still, 
The dominant triumvirs were not immune to criticism. Cicero criticized Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus that the traditional republic was faltering as power was not being fairly shared among the richest Romans. Some senators didn't attend meetings intimidated by Caesar's armed guards. Claudius was quite the wild card. Wild card! Claudius said he would annul Caesar's laws and spread rumors that Pompey would make himself a tyrant. A young senator in Cato's family would publicly accuse Pompey of the same. Pompey was hissed at when he sat next to Aulus Gabinius, the tribune who gave Pompey command in war against the pirates in the Mediterranean, thereby propelling his career. And that's a callback. An actor was cheered for taking a dig at Pompey when he said, You are great through our misery. People love to read Bibulus's scandalous criticism of Caesar and Pompey. Pompey daftly made a speech to denounce these slurs on him, which only encouraged more of it. There was an assassination plot claimed on Caesar and Pompey. A conspirator was captured, and his testimony gave little credence to a legitimate threat. Still, within 48 hours, he was found dead in his cell. It was not known who killed him. Still, the year ended on a good note for Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus. Next year's consuls would be Caesar's father-in-law, Calpurnius Piso, and Pompey's man, Gabinius, and the wildcard Claudius was elected tribune. Caesar tarried in Rome to ensure his work was not overturned. While he had his detractors, he left for his provinces in March 58 BCE, when there was word of over 300,000 migrating Helvetii who would be traveling through Caesar's transalpine Gaul. It looked like Caesar would have another war on his hands. Julius Caesar rose from the praetorship and governorship to the consulship, forming an informal alliance with Pompey Magnus and Crassus. With Pompey and Crassus's influence and Caesar's powers as consul, they could finally pass the laws the Senate denied them. Despite setbacks from his behavior as praetor and consul, Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus had built themselves quite the house of cards with all of their objectives passed. Of course, it was still only a house of cards, and future magistrates could undo all their work. Still, in the short term, they'd gotten all that they wanted. Caesar, now with the grand command, had a good shot to win a triumph. Our essential question this episode was, what was the benefit of the first triumvirate to its members? Go ahead and pause if you'd like to think of your response. To recap, Caesar, Pompey Magnus, and Crassus made an alliance, which we call today the First Triumvirate. All of them had been getting denied what they had wanted, but if they combined their wealth, influence, and auctoritas, they could start accomplishing their goals. Pompey wanted his veterans to be given land and to have his laws he made in the East be declared legitimate, which Cato the Younger shot down. Crassus won a tax relief in the East, which Cato the Younger shot down. Caesar had wanted to celebrate his triumph and stand for the consulship outside of Rome, which Cato the Younger shot down. But in response, if they all united and Caesar became consul, Caesar as consul could get what Pompey and Crassus wanted passed. After he was consul, when he would be governor, Caesar wanted a spot where he could become a war hero, plunder wealth, and gain a triumph. This would give him an opportunity to make up the triumph that he had given up, as well as giving him a chance to plunder wealth so he could finally pay back his debts. This is something that Crassus and Pompey could aid with. With their combined influence, wealth, and network of supporters, the trio could accomplish what they couldn't do alone. That's why they set aside their differences and allied themselves. This was just an informal alliance. Caesar was the only one with any kind of power as consul. 
Pompey and Crassus were just working behind the scenes and didn't get any extra legal powers, but could just use Caesar as a channel. With their combined influence, they could exploit the imperfections of the Republic to do what they wanted. Next week, we'll examine Caesar's actions in his command, life in Rome without him, and if Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus could maintain their iron grip on the Republic. Please consider checking out Death of the Roman Republic podcast on YouTube. That's right, I made a YouTube channel. Pretty exciting. Death of the Roman Republic's YouTube channel will contain episode highlights, re-listen to favorite clips, and share with friends, and help them discover the show. Check out the show on YouTube at Death of the Roman Republic Podcast. Link to the channel is in the podcast notes. Thank you! Feel free to follow this show for some Roman history memes and education stuff on Twitter at D-O-T-R-R-Pod. That is D-O-T-R-R-Pod. I hope you stop by, come for the facts, stay for the fun. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show.